Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't. But I'm handling it, and one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others on how they're handling their own lives. So if you follow us on Instagram, at Handling It Podcast, then you know that we have a series that's taking place currently called The Women of Film and Television. With mostly everyone in some sort of quarantine right now, many of us are consuming a ton of film and TV. I know I am, so I thought it would be fun to highlight the talented women that work in the industry in hopes that it will allow you to all see some different aspects in individuals involved in film and TV production. Now, the second guest of our new series is director, producer, and documentarian Namisha Mukherjee. Namisha has produced and directed award-winning work for both film and television, and she's a two-time CSA-nominated director. Her debut feature film, 65 Red Roses, was one of Oprah Winfrey's Documentary Club selections, and in addition to several other feature films Namisha has directed, she's also been an episodic director for series on Disney, Vice, Amazon, and Nat Geo. Lastly, Namisha's most recent project she directed, the film Fashionably Yours, premiered on the Hallmark Channel in April. So not only has Namisha worked on a wide variety of film and TV projects, but she's done so as a director, which, as you all know, is such a crucial job. Female directors especially are doing such incredible work right now, and I think it's so important to highlight that creation. That's why I'm so excited to have Namisha share her story with directing and talk about some of the work she's created and been a part of. So turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I really hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Well, Namisha, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about all of the work you've done. Uh, As I was saying to you before, I feel like people, everybody's at home right now watching, you know, TV shows and films. And I think it's really important to highlight the creators and the directors, producers, everybody, you know, who's, (laughs) who does the background work to that and who brings like these films to life. So thank you for coming on, and I can't wait to kick off the conversation. Yeah, thank, I mean, thank you so much for having an interest in <laughs> the people behind the camera. I think it's uh, it's always nice to have an opportunity, uh, especially now when, you know, so much of, you know, there's a lot of reflections going on right now. It's kind of nice to, to take a moment and just talk about, you know, the work and, and, uh, and like, the landscape of a film right now. So, yeah, I'm thrilled, thrilled to be on. Definitely. And, you know, you've had, you have quite an impressive resume. I mean, you're a two-time CSA nominee. You've directed episodes for productions on Disney and Amazon. Uh, Your film, 65 Red Roses, was (laughs) selected by the one and only Oprah Winfrey for her documentary club. And you even just, you had a film released on Hallmark, I believe, uh, Fashionably Yours, correct? Yes. Awesome. So yeah, (laughs) you certainly have quite the resume. Um, I'm very interested to know, um, you know, as someone myself who had studied film and television, uh, how did you get involved in the industry? I mean, did you always have an interest in it? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I grew up watching movies. My parents were immigrants. They came from India um, in the early 80s. And my mom, especially, like, loved films, loved foreign films, like any genre. She was, you know, uh, we're talking back in the day of, you know, Blockbuster and, you know, all the mm-hmm. video stores. She would, um, she had like a really great radar for just picking up films and not really judging it based on, you know, the cover or the, um, 
the number or whatever was popular. She was just always interested in the story. Like the story gripped her. She would rent it. And I, um, I think like just in my family anyways, we were kind of, I was allowed to watch a lot of stuff <laughs> from a pretty young age. Um, and so I think I absorbed different kinds of stories told by different, you know, different perspectives um, when I was pretty young. And so I, I just always loved film, but I never knew anything about how to get involved in the film industry. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I saw Goodwill Hunting, it was the first time I'd really heard about because, you know, with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, it was such a story about their, like, success with that film and how they, they wrote the film. Right. And it was the first time I kind of understood that there were screenwriters and that, you know, what, like, the important role of a script. And I think, yeah, in high school, I just, I started writing a script with a friend and it sort of started toying with this idea of, like, how do you, how do you turn, you know, the words to pictures and how do you put the pictures into a structure and how do you how do you actually make a film and um and I sort of played with it and I was addicted to editing and I loved you know I was kind of I've been very fortunate I was just everything was just coming off of you know um tape to tape editing and into Mm -hmm. like final cut and then when I was in university it had just you know it was all digital like I I did shoot on film my first short film but Aside from that, you know, I kind of was able to um, work in the sort of medium at a time when, you know, things haven't changed that drastically. Right. <laughs> so I kind of, I, I got to experiment a lot. It was like sort of the rise of, you know, being able to make films relatively cheaply. And so when, you know, you had to buy rolls of film stock. And so I, um, yeah, I, I really fell into it. I, it was an accident. I, I, um, I went to university to study English. And then I took an elective, a film studies elective, and I really liked it. And I, I made a short film, and then I was shortlisted for the film production program at that time um, at the University of British Columbia. They only accepted 15 students a year, and I applied with a, a short documentary that I made uh, that wasn't very good, uh, but <laughs> I applied anyways, and I really wanted to get in. And then I didn't. I was I was shortlisted, and, and that really... Um, spurred me to to reapply and, and kind of cemented the mm-hmm. fact I wanted to make films. Actually, that first early rejection really was when I knew what I wanted to do. So, right, it was a good good starting point. <laughs> rejection, <laughs> total rejection is a very good motivator. You know, yeah, you need it. You, sometimes you need it. And that's interesting what you brought up with. I think for the film industry in general, and well, a lot of the <laughs> creative media world, if you don't have a lot of connections or if you're not, you know, raised with, you know, family members or friends being in the industry, it's something you really have to learn how to do all on your own. You know, it's, it's quite an interesting field that way for sure. Yeah. It's a very, um, it's a very funny industry that way. And a lot of it is, is, you know, it's a lot about recommendations and who, you know, um, and talent of course plays a key role, but, you know, I, I was in film school, I'd made short films, and then I remember a friend got me a job as a PA, and it was my first time on an actual set, and mm-hmm. I'd never been on a set before. I didn't know how a set really worked, and and I basically learned, you know, through, from the very bottom, you know, coming up from the very, you know, lowest position, um, like, 
yeah, I didn't, I didn't have, that was my introduction really in terms of how the industry kind of operated and I kind of had to learn as you go. Right. Um, but it's not a bad thing. It's just, I think it just takes a little bit longer. That's all. It's de- yeah, it's definitely a process. So (laughs) one of the things and one of the reasons I had mentioned before I knew of your work is because I had seen your documentary Tempest Storm, which is incredible. And I will definitely recommend the heck out of that. But with uh, documentaries, you do a lot of documentaries. And I'm so interested as to how because I feel like a lot of people get right into in, in the film industry, get into short films, feature films. What interested you about documentary work? Yeah, it's a really good it's a really good question. I um I didn't intend to be a documentary filmmaker. I, I went to film school and like, you know, most most people who go through film school, you wanna you know, get into Hollywood. The goal is, you know, you wanna win an Oscar and you wanna be the next Spielberg and um <laughs> I was lucky I was lucky um because my one of my professors at, at through the film production program at UBC had won an Oscar for a documentary he made called Just Another Missing Kid. Um, And he really encouraged me to think about not just what it means to be a storyteller or director, but Mm -hmm. that John was very much about what do, do whatever is necessary that services the story. And in docu, and he really encouraged me to think about documentary in a very narrative way, um, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about documentary, or there were, I think, now with the rise of, of Netflix and and people being more attuned to documentary films. Right. Um, people understand the craft behind it in a way they didn't necessarily, you know, 10, 15 years ago. But I think there still is this propensity to think that documentaries are just like run and gun and just like the story just unfolds and there isn't, um, there isn't a direction to it. But mm-hmm. what John really showed me was that it, it's a, it, it involves writing, it involves crafting, it involves re-editing, it involves um, setups and, and payoffs and how do you ensure you ask the right questions to get that set up early on to, in case the story unfolds you know, down avenues, you're constantly juggling um, different ways the story could go. Uh, and so it kind of was, an, an, it really hooked me because I, I love documentaries. I've seen, um, you know, Steve James's Hoop Dreams, which was hugely influential with mm-hmm. 65 Red Roses. And, um, and yeah, so basically I got, I, I finished my film production program with a short film that had done well. It, it won a, a Leo Award. It's just like a an award up here in BC. And so it, it was a good calling card film. It was a narrative film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I ended up getting selected by the Academy of Canadian cinema and television to, to be like one of the, one of five people to get this apprenticeship training program. And I got placed, I picked both documentary and narrative. So I worked under John and then I also worked on indie films at the same time. And so I was really honing my skills in terms of just being a storyteller. It didn't really matter what genre. I was just really interested in what are great stories and how can I learn from great storytellers how to how to become one. Right. And my very good friend, uh, Phil Philip Lyle, who had gone through the film production program with me, we'd made films together. He was um, trying to write a script about uh, a young woman who was a friend of his, uh, Ava Markfort, who has a fibrosis, uh, which is, you know, it's, um, it's a 
fatal genetic disease. When kids are little, they can't pronounce cystic fibrosis, so they learned to say cystic fibrosis instead. Mm-hmm. So that became the title of our film. And he was trying to write a script, screenplay about her, and she was on the transplant list for double lung transplant. She was 23 years old at the time, which was she was the same age as us. And he was really struggling with the script. Um, and he was going back and forth with me about, about that. And, and eventually he, he introduced me to Ava. And I've been doing this internship. And I was like, you know, I think you actually have a documentary uh, here. I actually think that if you just film her um, mm-hmm. and her situation right now, I think there's, you know, a really compelling story unfolding right now because Ava had been handed a pager and basically told if the pager goes off, um, and an organ is found, you will live. And if you, if the pager doesn't go off, you have less than a year. So the stakes wow. were life and death. Um, and she was incredibly beautiful and articulate and just such an interesting situation that she was in. And, um, and so, you know, so, uh, <laughs> this is a really good friend of mine. And he was just like, I don't know anything about documentaries really. <laughs> and he was like, I, I'd be interested in doing it, but I'd want to partner with you on it. And Ava, you know, the discussion with Ava was like, I think you both should be the people to tell the story. She really trusted us with it. And so we ended up just starting to make that film because we didn't have a choice. It was unfolding. And if we missed, if we, if the pager went off and we missed it, there would be no film. And so we had to basically make the decision very quickly to start making that documentary. And it took us on a, an incredible journey for four years. Um, that led us all the way to Oprah Mm-hmm. And it was, um, you know, sort of this magical first film, feature film. Um, but one of the key things uh, that stood out for me with that movie was that I would never have gotten the budget to make a film like that or gotten a platform. Like we had multiple broadcasters, you know, Netflix picked up the film, Hulu picked up the film. That would never have happened if, with a short film, a short narrative right. film. We would never have received that kind of money as first-time filmmakers or that kind of, you know, yeah, again, that sort of, like, broad international platform that we we received with that film. Um, and so it really made me realize that, you know, there are so many different ways to get to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to just be... I'm going to make a short film that's really great and that's going to help me make the narrative feature that I want. And then I'm going to, and like, I think sometimes people just think if there's like a line that you can follow to get to, get to being a filmmaker. And I, I uh, really early on realized that, you know, if you let go of that, um, it's amazing where you can, you can end up. Oh, for sure. And I think one of the really interesting things about documentary work and, you know, you've, done a few medical documentaries and uh, when you have stuff that's so niche to a particular community or you know just a certain kind of storytelling a certain kind of subject you can really draw in an audience there I mean I I feel like with everybody (laughs) on Netflix and these streaming platforms right now I mean you look at something like the Tiger King which some may argue is not so much a docu-series but it is this interesting bizarre window to a world that got people really interested <laughs> and you know yeah, I mean just yeah. docuseries alone over, over the past couple of years I mean you have the Ted Bundy series it it, it really you know captures <laughs> an interest for for certain individuals so that that's some, definitely something I've found very unique about documentary work yeah 
And yeah. yeah, and I think also like just coming off of that, like with the with the rise of like lifestyle and reality TV, that also mm-hmm. kind of has hap- like happened and sort of has fallen as well. And <laughs> in the course of the last decade, I think people right. crave authenticity, and I think that while you might not get that, you know, on on a reality show, I think people started to to really respond to it positively no matter what the story in, in documentary and sort of value documentaries and what mm-hmm. what they're presenting in terms of delving real people's lives and, you know, the sort of responsibility to have a sense of, you know, the facts of what's happened. Right. It, it's really interesting because I've always had, uh, I've always had an interest in documentary work and even in school, you know, I had taken documentary classes when I was in college and, I just, for me personally, I feel like over the past couple of years, there have been, at least with my friend groups and people I know, I've heard more people talk about documentary films that they've seen and doc- documentary docuseries. And that's been really interesting. I know I, <laughs> one of my favorite shows on Netflix, and I believe it's on IFC on cable, is Documentary Now with uh, <laughs> Bill Hader. And it's such, I love it because a lot of the films, you know, that they mock, I've seen. And it's, it's really interesting (laughs) because since the show, I feel like those films as well have become popular. You know, I I think uh, one of them, uh, Grey Gardens is one that they've mocked on the show and, you know, did their mockumentary of, and I've heard so many people (laughs) throw that name around now, you know, prior to that show coming out. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think there has definitely, people are revisiting, uh, like, the history of the genre and it's starting to appreciate. I mean, those films were always appreciated, but I don't think on this sort of scale. Like, And also, like, I think there was a certain maybe stereotype of who that audience was, and I think that's been broadened, which has been really exciting. Like, mm-hmm. just a teenager now, <laughs> you know, might just be interested in watching Grey Gardens, uh, you know, and not... And, it's not about um, sort of having to define the, the audiences by actively finding the, the, the films, which is great. Right. <laughs> so uh, one film that I really wanted to talk about is Tempest Storm, which I've already raved enough. <laughs> but I had come across <laughs> uh, I had come across the film not that long ago, and I just recently rewatched it in preparation for this interview, and. Tempest, she, for those who don't know, she's a uh, burlesque, one of the most infamous uh, burlesque performers in the United States and arguably worldwide. And she's been known for uh, dating Elvis Presley. You know, she had an affair with JFK um, and she just had this really incredible career and just had this incredible confidence and persona um, that she embodied and I'm just so curious to know, like, a story like that, how, like, how did you come across her story? And how did, how do you go about if you want to walk me through the process of saying, okay, that's interesting. Let's make a documentary about it. Right, right. It, um, I was really fortunate because, uh, well, so Ava, who was the um, subject of 65 Roses, mm-hmm. so many things have kind of continued to echo from that you know, friendship I had with her and that experience. And one of the things that happened was a friend of hers, Caitlin Regeer, who was at the time uh, in 2013 doing her PhD, and and um, she was really focusing on, you know, um, 
women's studies, and, and especially she had a, you know, she, Caitlin is just an incredible storyteller herself, and she had been doing all this research on, on burlesque and, and, and really knew about that world uh, in a way I didn't. And she, mm-hmm. she got in touch with me and said, you know, I think that there is a film here about uh, this woman named Tempest Storm, and she sent me, you know, just some information, basic information on Tempest. And one of the things that really popped out was that Tempest had recorded uh, this album with Jack White from The White Stripes. And I was really surprised because <laughs> at the time I thought, okay, what is it about this woman that she's attracting the interest of, that she continues to to attract the interest of, of people today um, and someone like Jack White? Uh, who want, wanted to collaborate with her, and, and the album is really beautiful, and it's about Tempest sort of reflecting on less, like the lessons she's learned throughout her life. And, and so I was like, you know, this is such a departure from the, the films I've done before. Um, there, I've done a lot of medical documentaries, um, mm-hmm. and I also had done like a lot of films about people who are who were in these life and death situations, and it was it had been very, um, you know, rewarding, but also very. Uh, <laughs>
there was a lot about her story that um, she hadn't really discussed before uh, and wasn't sure if she wanted to get into, especially her, her own family background. Um, and so, yeah, again, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a really interesting time to do the film. Um, it was kind of before this whole movement had launched, and uh, mm-hmm. so it was interesting also making the film and the challenges we had getting the film made. Um, and there were a lot. Certainly. And I think also, you know, the conversation about her being a woman devoted to her career as well, I think is, you know, a conversation that's definitely being had a lot more today uh, with women. And yeah, it's certainly a a really relevant (laughs) film for 2020 right now, despite it being, you know, made a couple of years uh, prior. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I, uh, you know, that was one of the things that Tempest has had, um, has personally wrestled with a lot is her personal life and what, what does it mean to try to be the best at what you do? What are the personal sacrifices involved? What are the judgments that are made on you? What is the guilt or shame that you feel within yourself? Um, you know, her, for her as a mom, um, and her Mm -hmm. situation with her her own daughter and her own family. Um, and th- those were things that she didn't, you know, that took a really long time to actually talk about. Um, uh, and so it was, yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, again, the conversation, I mean, she's coming, she was born in 1928. Right. I mean, she came from it's... extreme poverty, no education. She came from a very broken home. Um, there was no safety net for her. And she, she had to carve her own way at a time when their options for women were so inc- incredibly limited. And, and so I, I think I have a, you know, an enormous amount of respect for her and, and what she was able to do with her life. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something we're, we're really talking about now in a very open way, but we, we, it's taken us a long time as a society to talk about these things or for women to feel empowered enough to really talk about these things. Cause Tempest doesn't think of herself as a feminist at all. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I, I think, you know, one of the things you brought up is the ability to like get her to open up and, you know, to share her story with you. And that's the one thing about documentary work you know, you can sit down and watch, you know, an hour long or an hour and a half long documentary. But sometimes, I mean, the gradual process of filming the like these stories, it, it takes so much longer than that. And you really have to to build relationships as well with the characters, with the, you know, individuals you're highlighting and profiling. I mean, you've hit it. You've hit it in terms of like that, that, that relationship, because trust is like is paramount in in documentary it's like mm-hmm. it's access and the way you get access is through trust and and you can't force someone to be in a documentary if, if at any point you lose that trust over and and it's also this bizarre situation where people aren't it's not actors playing a part it's people in their real lives um you know sharing these intimate private you know uh, emotional, you know, parts of their life and their thoughts with you. And there's an incredible uh, responsibility that comes with that. And it really doesn't end when the film ends. You know, I think you carry that with you. At least I do as a, as a filmmaker. 
mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, doesn't really end, <laughs> um, you know, whereas, and I, that's always been really funny, you know, when I started working in narrative to have these conversations where it was like, can you work with actors and, and can you work with a script? And I was like, I, <laughs> I think it's, a, I'm not going to say it's easier because, uh, you know, obviously there's challenges in any, you know, any creative field, but the, the gift of having a script and actors who are coming and playing and then, you know, nobody's lives are, <laughs> you know, at risk here. <laughs> right. uh, there is a separation between the art and their life. You know, those are the things that you don't, you know, you don't have to convince someone to be in your movie. They want to be in there. That's why actors are there. They want to act. Um, <laughs> but when you have non-actors playing like the leading role in their own life, you have to constantly, uh, you know, be aware that you're working with people that don't necessarily know how this process works or, or how they're going to be represented at the end. And sure. it's, a, it's a, you know, there's a lot of ethics involved in that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that that's funny you brought that up because I do want to talk about, you just recently directed a film for uh, Hallmark Channel, Fashionably Yours, and it's mm-hmm. quite different from, yeah. you know, document- <laughs> documentaries and a lot of the work you've done. So uh, the film stars Kat Graham and Kendrick Sampson. So I'm interested to hear uh, what that project was like for you doing something that was more narrative and uh, fictional. It was so much fun. Um, it was so much fun. I think because, you know, I, well, I have, first of all, I mean, the cast, um, when you have Kendrick and Kat, I mean, they oh, were definitely. wonderful and they were already friends. And so I think a lot of that on screen chemistry, um, but also that, uh, you know, we were talking about authenticity before. And I, I think that that, no matter what you're doing, you're trying to get to something real, you know, I think even in a romantic comedy, uh, and in Hallmark movies, and I love Hallmark movies. I love right, who doesn't? Like, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't think that you have to just be interested in one kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, especially as a storyteller. But, you know, you, even within that world and that, that bubble um, where you kind of know there's going to be a happy ending, God, <laughs> um, <laughs> you want to find those real moments. I think that audiences are smart, and I think women are smart, and I think that... Um, I, you know, to me, it's like the worst version of that is to just, you know, just go with the, everything that's easy, mm-hmm. um, you know, make easy choices, because I think the audience will pick up on that. And what was great was to have collaborators like Cartel Films that were um, the producers of the film and the uh, just uh, Callahan and Hallmark Network Effect, and then to get to collaborate with this wonderful crew um our, our, from our DP to our production designer, I mean, people really uh, put their heart into the movie um, mm-hmm. and really worked hard. And it was not an easy film to make because everybody wanted their department to be represented the best on screen. And so I think, you know, I like working with people like that. And it sometimes can get, you know, it gets, it's challenging because it's nobody's making an eat going with what's easy. Sure. Um, but what was great about that film was to see the end result and to see how all of that came together. And, and, uh, and also it was, you know, Cheryl, uh, I mean, we just had an incredible cast and, mm-hmm. um, Ralph was in it and it was, I mean, yeah, I think it, it was an entirely African-American cast. I mean, I mm-hmm. there's a, a photo of me with Kat 
uh, behind the scenes and and Kat has bangs in the film and and um, mm-hmm. and it, it's just bizarre to me that I I got to direct a film uh, and, you know I'm Indiana South Asian but mm-hmm. that see that photo where I'm directing it and Kat is the lead and it's a Hallmark movie and and I just I, I, to me, there was like such a moment of pride in that, you know, mm-hmm. like that being able to really embrace like my perspective and really say this is this is like you know this, this is my film. I guess I got to make a film um, mm-hmm. and you know represent it and tell it the way that I wanted to tell it. it was like really exciting. I mean, I I just I don't I felt the same way when Slumdog, Slumdog Millionaire came out because I was like I never thought I would see a movie that would win Best Picture that starts someone that looked like my brother. You know, just <laughs> like never thought it would happen. Yeah. Um, and so now I think it represents the change that's happening in our industry. Oh, definitely. Certainly. And like, I will always say, you know, the film industry and film and television industry is not at all perfect yet. Like there's still so much more growth to, to happen, but like this year to me, at least, I just felt like we were hearing so much more about, you know, female directors doing amazing work. I mean, there was just so much, I think, to really be proud of in the industry this year and to finally get like a spotlight on talent and creators that really deserved it. It was just, at least for me, I I felt like it was just a really great year in 2019 for film. So. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I agree. You filmed like The Farewell. Like it's Mm -hmm. just, it's a really exciting time for sure. There's a long way to go, but I think what, what's happening is people are realizing that it's not just like a handout. Like it's not just like the female directors are just getting, getting the jobs because they're women or because they're diverse women in my mm-hmm. case, but you're starting to see how um, we're delivering. Like we're, we ha- also have something to say and our perspective is actually adding, uh, it's contributing. And I think that, you know, that's, that's starting to, you know, those reputations are starting to get built in a way that, you know, they, they, they never, we never had a chance before, you know, I don't think any female director is afraid to compete. I think mm-hmm. what was frustrating before was that, you know, the Catholic competition was being kept out, <laughs> you know, right. like, all the women were being kept out. Like, you know, to me, it's about every, you know, the, may the best storyteller get the job, but mm-hmm. we have to at least be able to get, get in the door and be at the table. Right. Certainly. So, Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm so glad you brought that up as well, because um, I was curious for you. Was there, you know, being a woman in the film industry and a woman of color, especially, was there a film or a director, a producer, um, any sort of creator that you had watched or, you know, seen their work and thought, wow, like, this is why I want to, you know, go into filmmaking or, you know, this is what I want to do? I mean, I grew up watching and not really thinking about, you know, it's really funny. I, I feel like almost what's wonderful about being young is you just, I, you sort of approach like you just think things are fair right. and you don't, you know, I just, I just, as a teenager, like watching movies, like I loved Clueless. I didn't even think about the fact that Amy Heckerling was the director. It was just one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I just thought, of course. You know, like, it just, you know, it was just a great film. And, you know, when I saw, you know, Mississippi Masala, Mary Harris film, um, I just, I just assumed that they were, they were making their films because they were incredibly talented, mm-hmm. just like any other director that I was watching from Gus Van Sant to, I just thought these are people that just have unique 
perspectives. I just, you know, Penny Marshall, like mm-hmm. I just, it, I loved a league of their own, but I wasn't consciously thinking a, a woman was behind the camera. I just knew I loved those movies as much as I loved, you know, all the movies by, you know, male directors. And I grew up admiring both, you know, right. I think it wasn't until, you know, and, and I think everyone goes through that moment where they start to realize it's not as fair as you think. And it's mm-hmm. a hard, it's a hard, it's, it's hard because you don't want to believe that. You just want to believe that if I'm doing my best, obviously I'll get there. Um, and then you have to sort of break it down and realize, well, how do things really work here? And who are the decision makers? Who are the gatekeepers? Um, why are, you know, why is someone who makes a great film not making another film? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why are some of these female directors making a few films and then we never hear from them again? Um, and before I used to just think, oh, it's because they just didn't have any, they didn't have another film or they just, and then you start to understand their, their stories. Um, and then by the time I saw Bend It Like Beckham, that was a big moment for me because I hadn't seen a film where the, the South Asian girl Mm -hmm. is the love interest and like Kira Knightley is her friend who doesn't get the guy. And Mm -hmm. it was like. It was bizarre to me. It was so, it was such a big deal watching that film because, and that's why representation does matter. And that's why seeing filmmakers like Ava DuVray killing it matters because it's, when you fall from that, you know, ideal, idealized version of the world, you need these people to show you that you can do it and to not give up um, and Mm -hmm. to persist. And I think that, you know, those kinds of icons, um, you know, from, you know, Mira Nerikipameda, Eva DuVray, along, along with, mm-hmm. you know, Tarzan Singh, along with all of these other, you know, brilliant directors that motivate me every day <laughs> on the front. <laughs> so, like, you know, it, it, it's just so, it just helps you when you see it, you really do, you know, feel like, oh, it's this, this exists, this is possible. Because um, right. sometimes it does feel like it's not possible. Or you keep, you keep wondering, why am I, why am I, stuck why can't I seem to get further Mm -hmm. Um, and you internalize that and think it's you and I think to some degree when you start to look at again the system you go oh wait this is this is a hurdle now and I have to think I have to be smarter faster better Mm -hmm. and I still it's still going to take me longer but you can get there (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely and you know I'm glad you brought that up I love that you brought up Clueless because that's one of my favorite movies and that's yeah, so true. Like <laughs> when you're, when you're young and when you're a child and you're, you're watching movies, you're not thinking about like Steven Spielberg and like these directors, you're just watching a movie and you do, you have this sort of awakening <laughs> a little bit later in life and you start understanding, you know, the people at work behind all of these productions and you know, how, <laughs> how they got there and got to those positions and how they've been creating that work. And it, it is, it's, you do. I think for me, I said, um, I had talked about this with another filmmaker. I said this year it was watching Little Women uh, back in December when that came out and seeing Greta Gerwig's portrayal of that, that really motivated me to get back into writing. And, you know, these directors and uh, amazing writers come along each year for screenwriting. And it, it, it is beneficial to sort of find how to say it. Uh, you know, something to relate to with them. And and that can certainly inspire you in your work. 
Yeah, I think it was just like you say, it's it's wherever you find that motivation or that inspiration. I know when I when I saw Little Women and, and I admired their work so much, I thought I was a fan of the previous version um, with Winona Ryder, mm-hmm. and I remember being kind of confused by that director. Again, that you know that film got. I think Winona Ryder got an Oscar nomination. I know. Yeah. Necessarily won, but it got it got Oscar buzz. That film got Oscar buzz with that version of it. But that director, I'm like, she's a great director. Why did it? Why is she not making tons of movies? <laughs> like I'm kind of, you know, I think it's it, we're definitely seeing a shift right now. Um, mm-hmm. And I think also it's interesting that you pointed out. Like, the thing about Steven Spielberg is is when you see the faces behind the camera, and and you realize this is also about promotion. It's an industry. You work in advertising, like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it is a, a there's a lot of things at play here, um, and it's you know those personalities and having a face attached to the, you know Greta Gerwig. Everyone knows knew her as an actress first too. And I think it's it's all helpful, you know, mm-hmm. um, but not every. It, it there, there's a whole you know sort of machine at work, and I think as filmmakers, you realize it's not just about you know making great films. Period. I think there's a lot of other stuff now involved. Um, in in promoting yourself, and I, there was a time where I think women, especially you know, I'd say diver, mm-hmm. diverse men and women, didn't understand. You know, you're not promoting yourself in that way. You're not getting the, the avenues to promote yourself in that way. And again, sure. Ava DuVray has definitely uh, blown that out of the water because of her following. She has a oh huge my gosh, yeah, too, right, yeah, certainly, certainly. But she came from from yeah, she she's been very very, very uh, successful on so many fronts, you know, and that's part of that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I, I thank you so much for all of, you know, the insight that you've provided. And this has been such a great conversation. Um, but one of the things yeah, I like to really do, <laughs> yeah. um, I, I loved, you know, talking to, to filmmakers and, and hearing, you know, what, <laughs> what causes them to, to create and get behind a camera. It's really inspiring for me. And, you know, since this is handling it and it's all about handling life's ups and downs, um, I know the the film industry isn't the easiest. And I'm curious to know if you have a piece of advice that has helped you along the way. Yeah, I mean, I guess the most important um, advice I can I can say right now at this at this time where there's this sort of great pause is it's it's never too late. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we get stuck in this idea again of like having a path and that there, that things are supposed to happen in a certain order in a certain way. Um, and we get, you know, as a, as a filmmaker or an, as a director, you want everything to be perfect. Um, and there's been a lot of times where I, I delayed doing something because I was so fixated on making it perfect. Mm-hmm. And and I felt that I missed my chance, but I actually think like, you know, there's always an opportunity. Uh, you can make those, you can create those opportunities for yourself. You can be active in it. It's not prescribed idea that it's too late. Um, you know, I, I really don't believe it's mm-hmm. too late. You know, <laughs> you just have to create, keep looking, looking for ways to, to push through. Um, and mm-hmm. if you don't see those ways, you have to make, make those ways. Um, yeah, if you, as a creator, totally. that's, that's part of it is seeing, seeing 
how you can find ways to, to do it, to do things, mm-hmm. because there's so much in this industry, as you know, it's a lot of no's, right? Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> you have to find a way to, to push past that. Um, yeah, and I, my son is too, and it's funny, we were, we, one of his favorite books right now is what, what do you do with an idea? And it's like, it's so, it's like a children's book, but it's so profound in terms of like, you know, what it means to just have that idea um, and, and not let go of it despite mm-hmm. every, you know, everybody telling you it's not going to work. Um, yeah. And just to keep finding ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I always say if you have an idea or a goal, like hold on to it, don't let it go. And like maybe right this second isn't the time for you to do it, but that doesn't mean you should put it off. So it's, you know, still something worth pursuing. Because I said right now is the time. You have nothing but time. You're everybody's sitting around at home, like pull out a pen and paper and start writing or, you know, whatever project it is you're working on. Now's the time to really invest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and invest in yourself, right? Like, I think also as women, we often spend a lot of time investing in other people. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, to, to really say I'm going to take that same energy and time that I put into supporting other people and put that into myself mm-hmm. is, you know, it doesn't necessarily come naturally, but it's so important. It's right? so important to do. So, Certainly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Namisha, thank you so much. This was such a great conversation. Yeah, it was really fun talking to you. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from Namisha. I know for myself, I was so excited and interested to hear her story as a director and learn about the amazing work she's done. As I said in our conversation, I had seen her film Tempest Storm, and I just think there's something really special about a documentary and the work that goes into putting a message and a story into focus like that. So I've listed a few links in the episode description to some of Namisha's work that's available to stream on YouTube, so be sure to check them out. And thank you guys again so much for listening. And as always, let me know what you thought of the episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast. And feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts. Can't wait to see you next week with a brand new episode in the third part of our series, The Women in Film and Television. Until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.